This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, the debate over housing returns to the state capitol today with a committee hearing on a policy that's been banned in Colorado since the early 80s, rent control. Governor Polis has said he's against it, but advocates say it's one of the best ways to provide some relief to Coloradans paying increasingly high rent. State Representative Javier Mabry is an evictions defense lawyer who ran for office last year to pass bills exactly like this one. And he's on with our regular host, Bree Davies, to explain how he's going to convince Polis this is the way to go. Today is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Representative Javier Mabry, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the show and uh, I'm excited to be here. So we're talking about rent control, which is something that hasn't been allowed in Colorado since 1981. And I think a lot of people don't understand exactly what it is. Can you explain what rent control is? Yeah, absolutely. So rent control is the idea that landlords should not be able to raise the rent of tenants by unlimited amounts every single year. It is not the idea that landlords can't ever raise rents. It is not the idea that landlords can't make a profit off of their housing. Simply what we're doing is we're trying to create some stability and predictability for renters, right? So I'm fortunate enough um, to own my own home in Denver, which is uh, incredibly a difficult thing to do now because there's no more uh, affordable homes in Denver. But because I'm fortunate enough to own my own home, I am on a fixed rate mortgage for 30 years. And my housing payment is going to be the same for 30 years. Renters no longer have that stability. And I just want to refer back to something that I just said. It is so hard to buy a home in Denver, and I'm lucky. So an increasing number of people in Denver are stuck without that stability. And so we're just trying to give renters that sort of stability and predictability that homeowners benefit from. So like, I'm thinking about friends who rent and say, you know, one year their rent is $1,200 a month, and then their lease is up, and their landlord says, I'm going to raise your rent $400. So then they're... Mm -hmm. Rent goes from 1200 to 1600 Something like rent control would say, your landlord might be able to raise your rent, but not by that much, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and these policies work differently in different parts of the country. But, you know, the, ideally what the policy would do is, yeah, I mean, it would allow an adjustment of rent according to CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is inflation, the rate of inflation. And an important thing to keep in mind from the landlord's perspective 
is I am unaware of any rent control or rent stabilization policy anywhere in the country that does not allow a landlord as an initial matter when they're first renting the property, the ability to set the rent where the market will allow them. And so you're going to hear nobody's going to profit, nobody's going to be able to benefit from developing or building, but that's just not true. So this would just create, it's like you're saying, it's not putting a cap on people having the ability to make money on their rental properties. It's just making it more reasonable and more secure for renters to know from year to year what they're going to be looking at. Absolutely. And another thing I just want to make clear, the legislation that we're bringing does not do this. It just gives localities the authority to implement policies that look like this should they choose to do so, should they decide that it's best for their communities. Okay. So you're talking about this right now, like the how how hard it is to buy a home in Denver and how it becomes even harder for renters on these on these different levels. Why do you think now is the time? Things have changed drastically politically in this state. Democrats just won historic majorities, historic majorities. We have a supermajority in the House, and we're one vote away from a supermajority in the Senate. Coloradans elected a Democratic majority because their number one concern was the economy. And within that, the cost of housing was their number one concern. And we're feeling it across the state. So now I think voters expect us to do something about this. And, you know, full credit to, uh, I have colleagues here in the building and my predecessor, Susan Lantine, they tried to do this in 2019. There has always been leadership in the state capitol willing to take this on and willing to take on these fights. But it feels like now we might have the momentum to get this done. Your background is in eviction defense, which is like Mm -hmm. helping people stay in their homes. Um, And I know you've also shared your own personal experience with housing insecurity. How, How does your personal experience inform this proposal for rent control? Yeah. So this issue is very personal to me. My brother and I were raised by a single mom whose only source of income was her social security disability check. You know, I remember being in the first grade. We lived in an apartment uh, down off of Sherman in Inglewood. And um, it was the landlord lived on site. Uh, One time it was it was it was dark. It was eight, nine o'clock at night. The landlord opens the door and starts yelling at my mom about the rent. And I remember being super scared about that. That was one of my earliest memories. But, you know, as anybody that that has grown up in situations like that, that's not the only time we face things like that. I remember getting eviction notices frequently. And then eventually my family, we, we were finally actually evicted. Uh, and um, we lived out of my mom's 1999 Chevy Suburban, mostly sleeping in hotels before we relocated to uh, Norman, Oklahoma, which is where uh, my mom is from originally. Um, and so... I dropped out of high school pretty shortly after that. Like I know the real life impact that this can have on uh, people's lives. And I went back to school because I wanted to advocate for families like mine. And this I view as uh, an essential part of that. I think that people who cannot afford to buy homes deserve the stability that homeowners have. Yeah, I have to say, until you put it in that context, I never thought about I'm I'm lucky enough to own a home myself, but I didn't think about the stability component of my mortgage is always the same. And that is something I don't have to worry about. You're right. It's so different. It's rent stabilization. And you know what? The profit 
for the bank is baked in just yeah. like the profit for landlords in almost every rent stabilization scheme is also baked in the only thing that is not baked in is their ability to gouge unlimited profits from their property This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. Your bill is not to implement rent control across the state. It would allow local governments to make that decision for themselves. If we, we know this is a problem in rural areas, urban areas, suburban areas, why not make it a state law? I mean, honestly, I am supportive of making it a state law. Like, I'm not the governor. I'm a member of the legislature, and it is my job to stakehold and to work with people here in the Capitol to come up with policy solutions that we can all agree on that are a compromise. And so this fight is about what do we think is accomplishable right now to help the most possible people. And this is what I think we can do. And the honest answer is I would like to see a statewide program, but I'm one vote. Um, I don't think that the governor is aligned there. And we're going to have to get the governor to a point where he's okay with this. And I don't, I don't think that he's there. And I don't, I don't think that we have enough votes in the building to get there. But maybe maybe one day. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the governor because, yes, he has expressed skepticism about the idea of rent control. And I think his argument is like it would scare off developers from building new housing, which would limit the housing supply and and could ultimately drive prices up. What is your argument to counter that? How would you how would you convince the governor? Hey, this is what I think is the best idea. Yeah. So, you know, there's studies out there that suggest 
that rent stabilization policies have led to a decrease in an incentive to develop and therefore have made the housing crisis worse. I would say that those studies are flawed because correlation is not causation, right? There's no evidence that after the rent stabilization policies passed in Massachusetts and in New Jersey, that they led to a decrease in development in those places. So that so that's one thing. And the other thing to keep in mind is when we're talking about housing policy, there's no silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. Rent stabilization is an essential part of a puzzle that is the housing crisis, right? That is the, the solution to the housing crisis. I also believe that another essential piece of that puzzle is looking at zoning reform and encouraging density development. And um, the governor talked a lot about that during his state of the state address. And very smart housing people, smarter than me uh, in the housing policy space, are advocating for an approach that combines these two things. That rent stabilization helps working people and helps people who are renters and communities of color right now. And development helps the market and, yes, those communities five, 10 years from now, and combining an approach that focuses on building more housing with guaranteed affordability metrics is the best way to move forward. And I'm excited to have these conversations with the governor's office. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you're putting it in a great context because the governor also has recently spoke about wanting to make housing a priority. So you're what you're saying is like rent control could work in conjunction with other mechanisms like making it easier to build. Absolutely. And I also I also want to be clear that I think it's an essential part of that, right? Like I don't believe, you know, when we're talking about something that we believe should be a human right, right? Like in this state, we decided that unlimited corporate profits on insulin was unacceptable, right? We decided that insulin was so essential to people's lives that unlimited corporate price gouging was not something we were going to accept as the state of Colorado. If we also accept that housing is something that is so essential to people's lives, we should also be willing to recognize that unlimited price gouging when it comes to providing something that is essential, right? The root of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like after water and food is, is, is shelter. And, and if that is something that we want to recognize as essential, I don't think a let it rip market approach alone will save us. We also need guaranteed affordability. So I think there's this other voice too I'm thinking about, which is the developer. Like, have you talked to any developers who, or, or that you would want to talk to about like why you think rent control is part of also this conversation about building? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we have spoken to developers that are supportive of this policy, and I would not be surprised if we see developers who are supportive of this policy come out and testify because, you know, we sort of, we need to dispel the notion that you can't make profits off housing where these policies exist. It just ends unlimited profits. And um, so there's still an incentive to develop under most rent stabilization schemes. And I think we're going to have developers and landlords who are supportive, voice that. So regardless of how this goes, 
What is the next step? What's your bigger picture when we talk about tackling housing costs across the state? Well, I think that my reason for running, my reason for being in um, political office is to advocate for, as Martin Luther King put it, the total, complete, immediate abolition of poverty. And within that, I view it as an essential role for me to always advocate for the renter's perspective, to always advocate for the people who cannot afford to buy housing. Rent control matters in our state because working families should be able to afford to live in the communities that they serve, right? A big reason why Denver schools are having declining enrollment is because families, young families can't afford to live in our city anymore. I think everybody wants to live in a community where a young family can thrive in, right? I think people want to live in communities where their restaurants have enough people to work in them, but we need to make sure that renters, communities of color, and the poor have a seat at the table when we're talking about how we're going to address our housing crisis in Colorado. Representative Javier Mabry, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. After Bree spoke with Representative Mabry, we reached out to the Apartment Association of Metro Denver to hear from the rental industry directly. A spokesperson told us, quote, Rent control doesn't work because it has the unintended consequence of removing the financial incentive to create new housing units, improve existing housing units, and it restricts resident mobility. The result is always less available housing and higher prices. Rent control has failed everywhere it's been tried. End quote. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. A new lawsuit against DIA. A former director of parking, Benjamin A. Juarez, is alleging that airport officials retaliated against him when he complained about pay discrimination against him and other Hispanic employees. According to his lawyers, Juarez spoke out after DIA hired a white male with the same job classification as him, but paid the other man more. He alleges that CEO Phil Washington and other officials ignored his complaints and instead subjected him to, quote, intolerable conditions until he quit. And in politics news... Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert could be in trouble. She won a shockingly close race over Democratic challenger Adam Frisch to hold on to her south and western Colorado district back in November. But now, according to Nine News, Frisch is ready for more. He announced this week that he's going to challenge her again in 2024. And finally, we're still on the hunt for Denver's best hot sauce. And we don't want to leave your favorite out. So call the CityCast Denver Hot Sauce Hotline now. Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood and your favorite hot sauce, and you might hear me weep after tasting it on the show. That number is 720-500-5418. Again, that number is 720-500-5418. And that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Adam Frisch about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. I 100%. I have tasted some of these that I've got already. Yes, it's going to be fun. Um, I've been training a little bit for it. I've been tasting them and trying to incorporate more spice. 
building up a tolerance. Exactly.